It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hey everybody, welcome back to Bucketheads Land Grant Holy Lands College Basketball Podcast. My name is Connor Lamont, and I'm here with my co-host Justin Goble for episode 64 of our College Hoops Podcast. And today we are going to start with the Buckeyes as we typically do. And as they have typically done for the past month, they lost every game they played since the last time we recorded, which in this case is only one game. And uh, it was a game that I think we both expected them to lose, but um, I don't know. It, they, they played pretty well, I would say, for 35 minutes. But as they've done a handful of times this season, uh, just one stretch of play of, of, of three and a half minutes, just to absolutely let the game get out of hand. And once you fall behind by that much, it's, that, that's it. Yeah, actually, um, funny enough, I was watching the game, obviously, and I kind of walked, I, I like, my goal, I have a exercise goal on my Apple Watch, and I realized I hadn't hit it yet. I was like two minutes so, away. So, so when you I walked did, outside and actually touched grass? I, no, I didn't go outside, God forbid. Um, I just walked down, I live on the fifth floor of my apartment. I like walked down the stairs and I just took the elevator back up and that was good enough to get the, the little thing to hit, hit my exercise goal. I walked back in, I left, it was a two point game. I walked back in, it was a 15. And I, so I have no idea what happened. Um, that was a, well, first of all, me not doing it during halftime was definitely just a dumb decision. But missing that entire, like walking back into that, truly felt like the gif of Donald Glover from Community walking in, like with the pizza and the and the apartments on fire. I was like, what yeah. in God's name did I miss? And how the hell did this happen? And I obviously just went back and watched it, unfortunately. But 
Yeah, um, I think you're right. I think they played 34 good minutes of basketball, six really bad minutes of basketball, and uh, killed them. Yeah, I mean, they... I mean, first of all, that was my first time at Assembly Hall. Anybody that, including you, Justin, and anybody else that's listening, if you are within a, I would say, a six-hour drive of Assembly Hall and you have the opportunity to go see any game at Assembly Hall, cannot recommend it enough. For me, it was it was way cooler than Cameron Indoor. It, it, I mean, it was awesome. It was, an, it was an amazing place for college basketball. Each side of the court, instead of how the shot does it, it's like section, 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 all in a row. It's basically each side of the court is just one giant section that just goes up like 50 rows. Like literally to get down to the court, I just had to walk down 50 rows of seats from the, the, the press tables that are up top. But a good chunk of the the crowd is just students. Like there's a there's a section of the crowd that just goes up like 50 rows where it is only students from the court all the way up to the top row. And they were loud and crazy, and they were totally like in sync. Just such a cool place for college basketball. But anyway, with all that said, Ohio State did have this game tied with like six minutes to go in the first half, and played well. Up, Those first thirteen yeah. minutes played well. I think they, I think they started out up nine two, and then Indiana came back. Um, Buckeyes had come back to tie it. Then, like towards the end of the first half, Indiana pushes it up to like a six point lead. Ohio State comes back to tie it. And then shortly after Ohio State tied it at, I have to pull up the run. I want to say it was like 29-29. Uh, it just got completely out of hand. There was a, Indiana got a couple buckets to make it like a six-point game, and Holtman calls timeout. It's like, okay, good timeout, Holtman. Stop the momentum a little bit. And then sh- like right after the timeout, I would have to look at the exact play-by-play. It's been about a week, but I believe there was a play – down at Ohio State's end where Zed Key tried a, a basket and it looked like he was fouled. Uh, no call, goes to the other end, and uh, Caleb Banks does goes for a, a bucket, and there is a foul called in Ohio State on what Holtman thought was like the exact same play. So they uh, count the bucket, count the foul. Holtman is like, I've never seen him. It looks like he wanted to throw hands with the officials, like not just yell, but it looked like he wanted to beat his ass. And then somebody grabbed him and stopped him, tees up Holtman. So then Indiana, so then Indiana gets their two points to the bucket. They hit both their t- their two technical free throws. Um, I believe Caleb Banks missed the free throw the, for on the foul, and then on the rebound, uh, Bryce sets the ball, lost the ball. So Indiana got the ball back immediately, hit a three, and it was like a seven point possession. And you're like, well, uh, yeah, this game's over. Yeah, a big thing in this one was it was when it was thirty-one to thirty, Ohio. It was thirty-one twenty-nine. Ohio State got an offensive rebound, um, or sorry, Zed Key got fouled. It was five minutes left, thirty-one twenty-nine. Zed Key got fouled. He split the free throws, and then on the other end, Akpara got fouled on a rebound. He missed both. For, he missed like the one on one, and then um, he got fouled again, like a minute after that. Still thirty-one thirty, and missed both. So right there, you're talking about possibly five points left at the free throw line. And then it was kind of the Trace Jackson Davis show from there. Uh, He had, like, in that stretch, I think he had eight points and maybe seven or eight rebounds, a couple offensive that turned into a a three from Jalen Hood-Shafino. Another funny thing about the technical was they went to break, and Holtman got the technical during the timeout, so you didn't really see what happened. 
And when they came back, they were just shooting technical free throws, and the broadcast just completely skipped over it. They're like, oh, and here are the technical free throws. Back to what we were talking about. And you're like, what What the fuck happened? <laughs> Why are they shooting technical free throws? They didn't even show Holtman getting mad, nothing. Um, oh, so yeah. that was, that was kind of funny. I've never seen him run at a ref like that. That was yeah. like straight up, like literally just, he's like, he, that was like fight me, bro. Like he was, yeah. he was livid, but, um, they showed none yeah. of it. So we were all, we were very confused at home of like what happened, but yeah, that, that's why I, I don't really, you know, a lot of people are talking about this of like the whole, Oh, you get a technical, it fires up your team. I don't really believe in that when it's a one point game. Um, and of course the funny part was the people that have wanted Chris Holman to get technical over the past three weeks, when he did get one, they were like, well, this is on him now because they gave up a six point possession. So you can't have it both ways, but it was nice to see him show a little bit of fire, but yeah, man, that's what we talked about last week. I'd like, that's literally what we talked about last week was. I think it matters somebody, when you get it though. I, that, I mean, a six point possession there didn't, didn't help. Um, um I, I, yeah, I agree, I mean, but I would also like to see the players show. I mean, it didn't help the players at all. So they didn't, yeah. They didn't look like you could say it would be worse. It would be worse if he got it when they were already down seven. I mean, it was basically it was a, it was a one point game. I think when he got the tech, um, I have to look to double check that. It was. I, it was I believe 30. it was. A, yeah, it was a one point game. So okay, like the technical puts them down by like three or four points. It was basically a tie game at that point. And now you're down by a couple, um, but it was just brutal that. <laughs> Okay, they get the bucket, they get the technical free throws, and then on the rebound off the missed free throw, Bryce trying to go ahead and transition. Either he just like slipped and fell, or like the ball just like squirted out of his hands, and then it's like, ah, shit, give it right back to Indiana. Splat, three. You're like, okay, that's quite literally the worst possession I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, no, it was uh, – that that was a uh, tough, tough, uh, tough five minutes to end that. Because Ohio State definitely has their problems, like – at the end of halves and stuff like that. And again, sometimes I just chalk that up to like, it's a game of runs, you know, teams are going to go in runs kind of like when it was nine to Ohio state, they weren't just going to blow them out. Indiana went on a run to make it a good game again. That's just how it works. This one wasn't that this was just a complete meltdown at the end of a half that cost you the game. Cause they didn't play much worse than Indiana did in the second half. I mean, they kept cutting the lead down to like seven or eight. Then they give up a three or something and it was 11 again. So it was just that four minutes at the end of the half that truly killed them. Yeah, literally, if you take out that – I'd have to look what the score was when that run started. But I believe if you take out the last three and a half minutes of the first half um, – It's 31-29, technically, when they started the run, technically. They cut it to 31-30, uh, but it was 31-29 when the run technically started. Okay. So either – okay. So then Ohio State played two points worse than Indiana for – 36 minutes of that game at assembly hall on a Saturday night in front of a almost sold out crowd. Um, they played about as well as you could possibly play on the road again in that environment for 36 minutes. And the other four were just awful. And mm-hmm. with how this team plays defense go, like I didn't want to, I don't want to put out like you never want to just in case it comes back around to bite you like freaking Iowa state this week. I didn't want to tweet or put or like title my story at halftime, but you know that when they're down, if they fall behind by 16 points, game's over. Well, they unfortunately, can't, it was, they can't make up for that. It was very obvious what was going to happen. They were going to continuously cut the lead down to six to nine ish, and then Indiana would go on a quick 4 0, 5 0 run, cut it back to 11, and just do that. You can't play the game chasing the whole time. You just get. 
you get tired, you get out of what you want to do. You can't, you're not, you're not dictating the terms of the game at that point because you're just chasing, right? You're chasing everything they're doing. And at some point it just becomes impossible to catch them. And I think that's what they learned with about six minutes left. Cause that's when it looked like they were just like, all right, let's just shoot and pray. And I, I also, I also found it very interesting, interesting. And, um, I guess what they were doing on Trace Jackson Davis in the first half was not interesting because it's what you would expect. It's the fact that they stuck with it into the second half and it still kind of burnt them because what you saw is for the first eight minutes of the game, they were sending two or three guys to Trace Jackson Davis every time he touched the ball pretty much. And he was still passing out of the, out of the paint, um, finding the shooters, like he was making good passes. Um, but Trace Jackson Davis couldn't even like take shots for the first eight minutes of the game. I think Bryce Sensabaugh took seven shots before Trace Jackson Davis took his first shot because Ohio State wasn't just defending him. They weren't even giving him an opportunity to shoot the ball. Typically a very good thing. The problem was more often than not, he was finding Jalen Hood Shafino open on the wing or some of them weren't even open. Some, a few of them he hit in people's face, but he was finding Jalen Hood Shafino for some very good shots and you do have to take a pause at one point and, and ask and kind of reassess like, okay, we're doing a very good job limiting their best player right now. He's not even taking shots. However, this is causing another good player to get wide open looks and he's not missing any of them. And there really wasn't until part of the way through the second half, there wasn't an adjustment to move off of TJD to then maybe also try to prevent Hood Shafino until it was too late. I mean, they let the, them run the same rotation over and over and over and over in the first half. He hit five or six threes in the first half. He didn't and hit any threes. Was, he didn't hit any threes in the second half. He had six in the first I, half, none in the second. Yeah, and I it kind of makes you wonder, like, at what point in the first half do you say, like, okay, like we're doing a good job on TJD, but this is this is causing something else to happen that's still hurting us. Like we are still we're still losing this game right now because of this strategy. Even if it's it's successfully limiting the guy that we wanted to limit, it's it's causing another guy to get totally open looks, and they never really pause to reassess and I, I don't know I I think it comes down to I, I, there were people that were like oh like we should guard the guy that we you know we should we maybe we should guard the guy that's hit three threes on us maybe we should guard the guy that's hit four threes on us and I'm sitting there like like I res, I I see and recognize the strategy of making sure that this guy that's averaging like 30 points a game over the past three weeks doesn't do it to us but it's hurting you in other it's hurting you in other ways now yeah, it, what it comes down to is, so Indiana is they're, they're third in the Big Ten in three-point shooting percentage, which is obviously good. However, they take the fewest attempts in the Big Ten. They shoot the least amount of threes in the Big Ten. So I think the logic of, okay, let's let's crash on Trace Jackson Davis and just force them to shoot the three. Like Jalen Shafino is a 40% three-point shooter, but only shoots three a game. So I think the logic was, was sound. The problem is the adjustments – they came at halftime because, like I said, Jalen Hutchfino hit no threes in the second half. They just came a little late, right? The, you got to make that adjustment probably halfway through the first half, not at halftime. And also, I, it, it's a it's a tricky. It's why Indiana's so good. It's tricky because you have like Jalen Hutchfino against Iowa last night. As we're recording this, this was last night. Shot one for fifteen. He's horrible. Iowa. I watched the game. Iowa wasn't doing much different than Ohio State. He just missed the shots. 
He didn't make them. Um, so if you do start to take away the double on Trace Jackson Davis, he is one of the top three players in college basketball. He's just going to go get 35 on you. You know, it's not that's not an indictment on Zed Key. That's not an indictment on, oh, we need better bigs. There's not a big in college basketball that can stop Trace Jackson Davis. Trust me, I've watched many many a team try. So it, it's just a trick. It a very tough off when, when Jalen Hushafino is hitting like that, and when you have Trace Jackson Davis playing at the level he's playing at, and you have Race Thompson also on the floor. Race Thompson wasn't a huge impact. His impact is just simply being out there because he is technically bigger than Trace Jackson Davis. So you're making a guy like Zed Key or Felix Akpar, who's ever on the court pretty much have to guard both of them because there's no guard or even like a Justice Suing that can guard those two. So Indiana is just a very, very tough matchup when they're hitting and they were hitting. Uh, I thought Miller Cop might be more of a problem with the way they were playing. Miller Cop had four points, I think. So, you know, it was just, it was Jalen Hushafino's game. He took over that first half. And uh, I mean, Jalen Hushafino is a top 15 pick in the draft. He's unbelievably good. His passing might be better than his shooting, but his shooting is, is fine. That's the funny part is if there's any concern with him for NBA draft scouts, it's his shooting. Um, so he kind of, you know, he put those rumors to bed and then they awoke uh, the next game. But he, he's a hell of a player. You're not going to see him again, Ohio State fans, because you don't play in the again and he's gone. So I mean, it was a game that is a game that I we most people like, did not expect them to go to Assembly Hall and be Indiana on a Saturday night. Wasn't no. expected. But again, it's just you're kind of in this spot, like we talked about these are the last couple of weeks. When you lose to Minnesota, when you lose to Nebraska, yeah, you don't um, give you yourself the these, option. Correct. When you lose these games that you absolutely needed to win, all of a sudden, a Saturday night game at Assembly Hall goes from like, well, let's just see how it goes to like, yeah, you really don't have room to lose this game, even though you absolutely are going to lose this game. Like you, you have to figure out a way now to win. You don't have another option, yeah. and they and they didn't. So now they're sitting at three and seven. Um, you know they're out of the tournament as of today. They're in the little like next four out, or they might be like the fifth team out right now. Which you know, a couple days ago they were an eleven seed, and then they lost a pit. Sorry, not pit. I'm getting pit confused because pit was the eleven seed. They they lost to Indiana and they dropped from an eleven seed down to like first four out, and now Pitt's up there as an eleven seed. And a couple days ago. Pitt was first four out. So it just goes to show uh, one win or one loss literally can flip you when you're a bubble team. Literally winning one game can change the whole outlook. But that's really well, it's, it's, it's it's the you know, it's like you've said and I've said, you don't you know, when you lose to Minnesota North in Nebraska, you don't give yourself the option of losing these kind of games. And I mean they're three and seven, right? If they were just five and five, just beat Nebraska and Minnesota. You're talking about they're they're literally a game and a half out of second place. The Big Ten is so – like, Purdue's going to win the Big Ten. They're 10-1, 21-1, they're gone. But Illinois is in second place at 7-4, and four, right? Northwestern Rutgers are in third place at 6-4. and four. And then everybody else is 6-5, and 5-5. Five, five and five. Wisconsin's 4-6, and six, Ohio State's 3-7, and seven, then Nebraska and Minnesota are, are last. Like, it's so bunched up. You just – you can't lose those games. And I don't want to beat a dead horse, but – that's where losing the game in Minnesota kills you. That's where losing to Nebraska kills you, because if Ohio State of, beat Minnesota and Nebraska and they're five and five instead of three and seven, what are they? The in the bracket? They're probably like, oh hell yeah, but what are they? Probably like a seven or an eight right now. Uh, if they're yeah, five, I'd say, five. I'd say seven seed, thirteen to eight, five and five with yeah, I'd say they're seven seed. 
So right. that's, and, and that's what kills you. Because you don't have any bad right? losses at that point either. That's what's killing them in the tournament resume is like when they show up the little resumes and it's good wins and bad losses. They do have good wins. That narrative needs to die. Iowa's a good win. Northwestern's a good win. Northwestern's third in the conference right now. You know, uh, San Diego State, oh, they lost San Diego State. Uh, Cincinnati is looking like a decent win just because of how bad they beat them. Cincinnati's putting on putting on a nice little run here. Uh, almost beat Houston, which would have been huge, but they lost. Um, so, you know, they have, like, decent wins. It's just they have two really, really – well, one really, really, really bad loss, one bad loss, and that's what's keeping them out of the tournament right now. And that's why you got ten games left. you got to win them. <laughs> Not all of them, but you got to win a lot of them. Seven of them. Yeah, and it, it does start. It, it would start tonight against Wisconsin at home, playing a Wisconsin team that I think they're like 13th in the Big Ten and scoring the average like 66 points a game or something. It's not, it's the same fundamentals and strategy that Wisconsin always has, but they just, they don't have the same personnel that they had last year. They don't have quite the juice they have that they had last year. Um, you know, Tyler Walls is their guy, Chucky Hepburn. Chucky Hepburn is a good player, but also Chucky Hepburn is very watch it, much a guy. Watch, watch it, watch it. You know he's Chucky Hepburn. Player. Chucky Hepburn is very much a guy that could be prone to falling back into the shadows in a big game at times. Like Chucky Hepburn is a guy that in a big game, you could look at the box score afterwards that Wisconsin loses and you're like, how in this game did Chucky Hepburn end up scoring seven points and only have two assists like he has to be so like he's a good player I wouldn't say that Chucky Hepburn is an elite guard that is going to on his own go out and win a game I don't think Wisconsin has anybody that's going to go out and be that huge of a different maker that they're going to individually win a game Stephen Crowell is fine Tyler Wall is an above average player but um He's no, they, they, last year they. I mean, we saw just how big Johnny Davis and Brad Davison were, and nobody, yeah. has, nobody has stepped up into that role, and that's why they arguably had a worse January than Ohio State did. I know people are going to be like, "Oh, okay." No, they did. I mean, they beat Minnesota and Penn State both at they home, lost, what, both by three, and all their other games they've lost six out of seven, and they did not score seventy in the state in in the month of January. They did not score seventy. In the, they scored sixty nine against Illinois and lost. Nice. That's it. So they they haven't scored seventy in the month of January. They're not a great offense. They haven't scored seventy since they beat Western Michigan on December thirtieth, and that was seventy six. So they're just not. They they really struggle on offense. They're a good defensive team, but if you just get, I mean, Sensible is going to get his, and if one other guy just has a good game, they should be able to beat them. And then you move on to a Michigan team that is literally free falling, just as bad as these other two teams. So it's a very, it's this is the week like. You know, we talked about last week was a big week because you could have really got a, a, a marquee win. You know, if you beat Illinois, Illinois and Indiana were two of the hotter teams in the Big Ten, probably second and third behind Purdue. Um, so going into their homes and beating them would have been great. But you don't expect it. I like I didn't expect them to lose by 40 combined points, but I didn't expect them to win either of those games. This week, you pretty much have to go 2-0. Um and I think, and I think it's an interesting game because we keep talking about, and I kind of want to bring up the Iowa State game because I saw something in that game that I haven't seen from Ohio State, and I miss it. And it was, um, we talk about the team, like I just want to see this team show a little bit of fight because it looks like they're really not. It looks like sometimes they want to be anywhere else than on the basketball court. And I get it, like they don't really have like Justice Suing's a quiet guy, you know. Zed Key is. 
he's a personality, but he's kind of more quiet as well. You know, they got a lot of freshmen, so they're not going to be as as boisterous as some others. But I was watching Iowa State, Texas Tech, right? And if you don't know this game, Texas Tech was down by like 25, came back and won the game. Texas Tech is bad right now, uh, unfortunately, for Ohio State, because that could have been a good win. Texas Tech has completely fallen off a cliff. They are 0-8 or were 0-8 in the Big 12. Um, just a complete dumpster fire. They down 20 against Iowa State on the road. You, they could have packed that in very easily, right? Just been like, fuck this. You know, this season's a frustrating one. We're down by 20. You know, Gabe Kalsher has 20. Who cares? Like, who cares about this game? But this, like, Davion Harmon was four for 16 from the field. But then he went on a little bit of a run, started making some shots. And when Texas Tech won that game, they celebrated like they had just won the Big 12. Like, they, they like Davion Harmon was, was fired up every time he hit a free throw. Uh, Jalen Tyson was playing defense. He's clapping his hands real hard. Like, these guys, they were showing so much effort and so much fight, and that game mattered to them. They're, again, Texas Tech is on the outside of the tournament looking in, and I don't really foresee a scenario where they get themselves. Like, Ohio State, at least they have some winnable games coming up. There's no winnable game in the Big 12 for Texas Tech. Could they win one or two? Sure. But they're probably going to lose most of them out, whatever. But they cared about you, and you could tell they cared. They were outwardly showing it. And it was kind of like a little bit of like, when you're so frustrated that you're just, you just kind of want to scream and that's kind of what they looked like. And that's what I just want to see that from this Ohio state team. And you have that opportunity on Sunday at Michigan. If you can't get up for that game, right? Both teams are fighting for their NCAA tournament hopes at your rival. It's rivalry week. It's one o'clock. It's CBS. If you don't get up for that game, like if they will sleepwalk into that game, this season's done because you just, that's the game that has to pull you in. That's the game that you have to be like, you know what? Fuck everything that's happened this season. Let's turn this thing around right here. Especially if they beat Wisconsin. They lose to Wisconsin. It's probably over anyway. But if you beat Wisconsin, you can walk into Michigan and you can flip, not only flip your season on its head by winning two games in a week and putting yourselves back in position and Michigan season. Like that, that needs to be the game where you see every, all the frustration, all the doubt, everything on this team just come out and just show it. That's where you need to see it, and I'm 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 really curious for Sunday. Yeah, Michigan is bad. they are bad. They have I don't want to say that they've been feeding people false goods because I think people that follow college basketball people okay there we go people that have been watching college basketball since November know that the Michigan train was going to slow down. Just Michigan struggled against they, every Mac school they played this year, and they didn't yeah, play the they, good, and they didn't play the good ones. <laughs> They barely beat. They barely beat OU. They lost to Central Michigan. They barely beat Eastern. Um, and the bad Mac teams, <laughs> which they, I think they started like four and two in the Big Ten, and people were like, "Man, we got to give Michigan some credit. They are in second place in the Big Ten with all these guys leaving for the draft. You know, Jawan Howard has them once again at the top of the Big Ten. I think their first like six Big Ten games were like two games against Northwestern, two games against. Minnesota, a game against Nebraska, and a game against—I'm uh, drawing a blank—but they had they had some they had like Penn State at home, which Penn State is good, but you had them at home again, a game they could have lost. They they beat Penn State at home, but then they go on the road and get absolutely whooped on by Penn State. So they're regressing back to what they're regressing back to what um, a lot of people that cover Michigan and Michigan fans kind of saw in them early in the season. Um, they have Hunter Dickinson, 
obviously very good player. Ohio State's going to throw multiple guys at him. Uh, beyond that, Michigan doesn't get a whole lot from their guards. They just don't. Um, they're not a great shooting team. They shoot about 34% from beyond the arc. They're not a good free throw team. Like they just they don't do a ton of things well. And this rant's about to be over on Michigan, I promise. And also, Chris Holtman, I think, has won either two of either either both times he's been to Chrysler, or he's like two and two of three. Like Chrysler is also not a place that Ohio State has has had trouble winning at. Even the good Michigan teams, Ohio State has historically played pretty well at Chrysler. Yeah, and no, I'm just beat them. I mean, they, 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 all their games they won in January were at home, but they were close games. And it was, I mean, they beat the hell out of Maryland, which was, I think that was when people were like, oh, Michigan kind of turned this thing around because they had a week where they beat the hell out of Maryland, then beat Penn State. But then from there, they just kind of fell off a cliff. They lost at Iowa, uh, which, which was a tough loss for them. And um, they beat Minnesota, but they beat Minnesota at home by four with no Dawson Garcia. Um, so, I mean, for people to watch the Ohio State game, that's who killed Ohio State. So if Ohio State would have gotten Minnesota without Dawson Garcia, they probably beat him by 20. So um, I think if they can, like you said, if they can, if they can find a way to beat Wisconsin at home, they can go on the road, even if it's ugly, even if it's like 57, 55, you find a way to beat Michigan in Ann Arbor and you get back on the bus, come back to Ohio, and you're now 5-7 and seven in the Big Ten with two more home games coming up that you'll be favored to win both probably as far as betting lines. I mean, then they put themselves in a spot where you would be back in the tournament field and it would, if they can win both games this week, it would no longer be, is this a tournament team? It'd be like, okay, you're back on the right side of the bubble. Can you win some games now to maybe climb up a little bit and not be a play-in team, essentially? Yeah, I mean. That spot, if they win these games. You look at their, and you look at the, the, like you said, upcoming, they get Wisconsin and Michigan this week. Then you play Northwestern, who is good, but again, you beat you already beat Northwestern on the road. You beat the hell out of them. Now you get them at home. Then you play Michigan State, who is good, but that's at home. Michigan State has struggled away from Breslin this year. Plus, with Malik, you don't know what Malik Hall's health is like. And then you play Iowa, who you've already beat. So, you know, then you go to Mackey, chalk that one up as an L. But, um, you know, if you can get this thing to seven and nine, I mean, eight and eight is tough because that's winning the next five. I don't foresee this team coming off two blowout losses and then just rattling off five straight wins. But when you look at the schedule, I don't even think it's optimistic. I don't think I'm being overly optimistic to say five wins in these next six games are very possible. Um, now, who knows what team we're going to see again? This team lost a home to Minnesota. So I, I don't know. You know, maybe I, well, I'm definitely onto something with every single team they play. Their second best player destroys Ohio State. Um so we're looking at a real big Kobe Bufkin game up at Michigan, or maybe or, Jet or Howard. Jet Howard. Yeah, I'm really worried about Jet Howard, to be honest. Although you can make the argument Jet Howard has been Michigan's best player this year. Jet um, Howard also is hurt right now, and I don't even hurt. know if he even played in their last game. He did. He did play. Oh, okay. uh, he actually He's played bad. pretty well. He was the only one that played well against Penn State. Oh, cool. Excellent. Love that. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. So, but again, like I said, you got Michigan coming off a 20-point. And Michigan, it's hilarious, man, because I do – I like I, I kind of pay attention to what Michigan fans say. They say the same exact things about Michigan that Ohio State fans say about Ohio State. So you're getting two teams that are basically in the same exact – they have the same record. Like they're in the same exact position. The only difference is Michigan has a little bit better conference record because they struck with more non-conference, right? They didn't take care of the teams they were supposed to like Ohio State did. They lost to Central Michigan. 
you know, Ohio State didn't didn't have that. So you, you just you gotta this these two games are huge. The what's the Wisconsin game is a must win. I'm not gonna call Michigan a must win because I don't think they have any must wins on the road, but it's a it's close to it. Wisconsin's a must win. Michigan's close to it. And then I mean, about- again, they do they have have ten games to close out. Seven of them are at home. So you do have that at your disposal. What's funny about Michigan and, and Juwan Howard, which I hadn't really put, I hadn't thought about it this way. Um, Juwan Howard is in almost the opposite position as Chris Holtman, while also being in the same position as Chris Holtman, because Chris right. Holtman's pro- Chris Holtman's problem with the fans is basically that every year up until now, and hey, mathematically it's still very possible. Um, probably won't happen this way. But up until this point, Ohio State every year has pretty much had a, a very successful regular season followed by no success in the postseason. They, they, they're like, cool, you sold us a bag of goods and it spoiled as soon as we got to March. Michigan under Juwan Howard has been almost the exact opposite. They have yeah. been middle of the yeah. pack since he got there. And then boom, you get to March, Sweet 16, Sweet 16, tournaments canceled for COVID. Like, that's, I don't believe so Juwan Howard like, has ever actually missed the Sweet 16. So it's like I don't think so because yeah the, other, the third season the one season was canceled because of uh, the pandemic but that's the same thing and I have I have friends who went to Michigan who I've asked this I'm like can can you fire a coach after having a terrible terrible season which I think Michigan could be on track to finish like seven and thirteen in the Big Ten could you fire a coach who after three or four years has basically a 500 record in the conference, but has made multiple Sweet 16s. Like, can he defend his? Can he defend his body of work by saying, "Yeah, I know we've sucked the last couple of years, but hey, we pretty much made it to the Sweet 16 every year, but now, every year, but this year, which is the opposite of Holtman, which is we have a pretty good regular season every single year, we just don't do shit in the tournament. Um, and then also with Juwan Howard is kind of the Patrick Ewing problem, which is. Michigan has hired one of their most beloved, well-known former players. Can they can they even fire Jawan Howard, or do they just have to ride it out with Jawan Howard until Jawan Howard takes a different job, like Georgetown with Patrick Ewing? They're never going to fire Patrick Ewing. He won't leave until he resigns. Yeah, well, Georgetown is a whole other problem. But when it comes to Michigan, it's funny because they're also in the opposite spot of Ohio State to where their February is tough. They get at Northwestern. They play Indiana twice. They're at Wisconsin. They play at Rutgers. They, you know, they still get Ohio State. So they're they're February and March. They at Illinois. So they have a tough, tough, tough uh, February and March. I don't really. I don't think Michigan makes the tournament. Um, like unless something vastly changes with them. So I think just in general, you know, I mean, Hunter Dickinson is averaging seventeen and eight. He's having a good season. I think if you're a Michigan fan, you kind of want more from him. There's really, like, I think, I mean, people are split coming into the season of who was better between him and Trace Jackson Davis, and the numbers haven't even been close this year. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see when they, like I said, they still have to play Indiana twice, so they get to go up against each other twice. But they just need somebody to, it's kind of similar to Ohio State in the sense of, like, they get production from Jed Howard, they get, you know, what Hunter Dickens is going to provide, but they just need somebody else to step up. Kobe Bufkin's had a decent season, hasn't been great. Terrence Williams just has never really turned out to be much for them. And Doug McDaniel is, I mean, he's a freshman. He's kind of working through some things, but he was thrown into an unfortunate situation when Jalen Llewellyn got hurt. Um, I think that, you know, that, that threw a wrench in their plans, but, and they just don't have a deep bench at all. Um, 
So I, I don't know. It's going to be very, very – Michigan's in a tough spot like Ohio State is because, again, Jed Howard's gone, you know, probably like – I think Bryce Sensabaugh is like 80% gone. Jed Howard's 95% gone. Hunter Dickinson is gone after this year. So where, you know, where do you rebuild and where, who, who is that production for you next year? Um, it's going to – I think, first of all, they probably definitely want Frankie Collins back. But we'll, we'll, you, you just – again, like I said, you've got two winnable games coming up and – it's at Michigan, so you know winning on the road is tough. But they walked in Northwestern and beat the hell out of them. So I think you'll learn. You'll really learn about uh, in the next year or two, assuming that Juwan Howard is still at Michigan. Which I, like I said, I don't think that Juwan Howard leaves Michigan until Juwan Howard decides Wants he, to. yeah, yes, before until he has a different job. Because I just don't know how you can turn around and fire one of your most beloved former players like the just like the backlash and the public backlash that would be, and potentially you know, sawing off relationships with other former players that are upset you fired him, that kind of thing. I think the next year or two will really show, can he can he develop players? Because that's what you have to do to have longevity in this sport, right? He took over John Beeline's program that was in a fantastic spot and kept it going. He has recruited how many one and dones? I mean, Franz Wagner was, um, I guess, one of Beeline's recruits that he was able to retain, but one and done. Um, last year, Caleb Houston won and done. There are, uh, um, um, oh God, what's the one guy? Diabate. Diabate. Diabate, right, yeah. Sorry, one and done. He's, he's recruited some really talented high schoolers that showed up to Michigan, already very talented, played a year, and left. But can he take guys like Terrace Reed, who is going to be uh, – he's a, a talented freshman, has he's no kind of jumper right now. might be the guy next year. <laughs> right. Can he develop a Terrace Reed into like an all-conference kind of guy? Can you develop a Doug McDaniel into a Xavier yeah. Simpson kind of guard? Can you continue to work with Kobe Bufkin? Because if they can't develop these guys that are already on the roster, Michigan is going to continue to struggle. And it's the first time I think that it'll test Jawan's Howard, Jawan Howard's ability to um, develop players. Because these guys that, even though they were all five stars, high four stars, this year his freshmen are going to stay. Mm-hmm. Except his son, outside jet, yeah. who's, who's, who's gone. Can he develop these guys into better players? It'll be the first time that he's really, um, we'll really see kind of how his freshman to sophomore, sophomore to junior kind of jumps go. But I'll say this though, if they do somehow sneak into the tournament and they make the Sweet 16 lifetime contract. If you go to bracket matrix right now and you just command F Michigan, there's not a single bracket anywhere online that has Michigan anywhere. No, the Ohio state is getting more respect in that regard than they are, which again, like I said, you think Minnesota at home is a bad loss. Central Michigan. (laughs) Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Speaking of sense of boss, so 
you said uh, there were a couple people that sent in some questions. To, they DM'd us some questions about this season. I think one mm-hmm. of them was sensible, but if you want to hit those, we can run through those real quick. Yeah, um, I don't. Let me get my phone up. Um, so we got we got we we can hit on three of them. The first one was we can have the sensible one since you uh, teed it up. First one: Is there any way we can retain Bryce next year with a hefty NIL package? Um, short answer: no. no. Yeah, short answer is no. Um, so I guess for <laughs> reference here, yeah, short answer: no. For reference, so it, it's it's pretty much being projected. You look at it more than I do, but pretty much being projected. He's around like what eighteen to twenty five right now in most of the, the mock last, drafts. Are we comfortable saying last that? Last time I checked, last time I checked was the day of the Iowa game, and he was fourteenth overall. Jesus, that's lottery. So, okay, so Malachi Branham went 20th. He signed a four-year, $14 million deal. Uh, it was $6 million guaranteed. Annual an- average salary of 3.5. His rookie salary was 2.9. There is no NI- – that's 20th. There is no NI deal that would even come remotely figuratively close to that. Okay, so you have to look at it in that regard of, like, just in terms of money, it's not going to – the NI- NIL won't touch – what he's going to make, even if he's just a first rounder. When you get into the second round, it gets a little trickier because none of that money is guaranteed. I mean, E.J. Liddell was almost in a really bad situation. Shout out to the Pelicans for actually like holding on to his contract. But with him getting hurt in summer league yeah. and no guaranteed money, he could have been in a really bad, unfortunate situation. Again, the Pelicans had a heart. And also, I'm sure they just know E.J. Liddell is going to bounce back strong. But that could have been a really tough situation for him uh, because once you get in the second round, the money's not really as guaranteed. So it just. For me, and I said this about Malachi last year, I'm going to say it about Bryce. It's a hundred percent chance he puts his name in. What's gonna, what it's going to come down to is if he gets that first round grade kind of guarantee, like Malachi clearly got from the Spurs or whatever, maybe a team behind them also. He'll, he's probably gone. The only thing that I can foresee, maybe him coming back, is if this season does go off the rails and they don't make the tournament, but he looks at the next, he looks at the class coming in. And he goes, okay, I know these guys coming, like Devin Royal, Scotty Middleton, Tayson Chapman, these guys are going to be impactful right away. You're still, you're getting back Zed Key. You're getting back a Eugene Brown. You're getting back Tanner Holden, which we can talk about. You know, like you are, that team next year should be very good. If he looks at that team and goes, maybe I can be the difference maker of making that team a tournament team, a second weekend team to like an elite eight team, which I do believe he could be. If he comes back with what they have coming in next year, again, depending on assuming everybody comes back the should, I think it's a top 15 team in the country. So that's where I think it could be a little different if he's like, I want a taste of the tournament that I haven't got. Because you only you truly only get to play college ball once. Does that matter to some guys? I don't know. That's a question I can't answer. But I mean, we've seen we've seen guys come back for less, right? I don't think we expected Hunter Dickinson to come back next year, last year, but he did. Trace Jackson Davis, same deal. So it's happened, uh, but we also seen guys leave we didn't expect to leave. Dwayne Washington. So I I would say right now, when it comes to NIL, that's not going to be the reason he comes back. It could factor in just because you know it'd be nice. To, I'm sure he's making some money in college. It'd be nice to make a little more. You know, he he will be like he will he had the like he's the guy now, but he will be the guy all of the off season for Ohio State basketball. He'll be the face of Ohio State basketball. Um, which he wasn't this year as a freshman, so or this upcoming year as an incoming freshman. So I don't think anything NIL would bring him back. I do think just maybe like a 
um, shot in the dark that because it's so the season could go off the rails and they might miss the tournament. Um, he, if he wants a taste of that, that could bring him back. But it, again, it just depends on, I think if he's great, if he gets a first round guarantee, I think he's gone. It's hard yeah, to turn that I, down. Yeah. I think you're pretty much on it. There's nothing to do with NIL that would bring him back. And also I just, from being at a lot of the games, from being press conferences and being able to talk to people close to the program and, you know, all the people that are, that are with the press, um, you know, that sounds way too like bragging and stuff, but basically just cause I've been in the, in the building, I've, I've already been told like, listen, Bryce is like, players always are going to say like, you know, I'm trying to just stay where my feet are right now. I'm just trying to help this team win games. I'm just trying to focus on what's going on right now. I haven't even thought about the NBA. Listen, Bryce is seeing all of the Instagram stuff that he's tagged in for like, you know, the league him accounts and like, you know, all that's what he said. He said that a couple of days ago. Yeah, that's why I said it. That's what like he shares all this stuff on his Instagram. Like he is seeing and acknowledging all the hype that are like, you know, Bryce Sensabaugh dropped, you know, 26 on blah, blah, blah on this shooting. Like, um, you know, buy stock now before he's a lottery pick. Like he's seeing all this stuff. He's sharing all this stuff. He's saying, like, you know, I'm just trying to help this team win games. He's very, very, very aware that his stock is skyrocketing right now. And also, this is just my opinion. It's going to be tough if Ohio State misses the tournament for Chris Holtman to look at Bryce Sensabaugh and say, Bryce, listen, you got to come back. You got to listen, buddy, we could use you. We're going to be a really good team next year. And he's, if they miss the tournament, it's like, sorry, coach, listen. I did not have a great experience last season. We struggled and I can go make millions now. Yeah. So I just, I think he's gone. If he was a borderline first to second rounder, there's probably a good chance he would have come back. But like, like I just said, as of a week or two ago, he was already like back end of the lottery and there's no NIL deal. That's going to be able to give you several million. Marvin Harrison Jr.'s like projected NIL value is like 1.7 mil. And yeah. you would need more than that to to overcome what he would get as a rookie in the NBA. And it's also just I will say this now, what happened to EJ Liddell could factor in. I mean, I, I think everybody thought he was pretty much a first, for sure first rounder and falling to fortieth. You know, I think that's just NBA teams being stupid personally because I think EJ Liddell is going to be a great NBA player. But um, you know, it, it it depends on. If he sees that now again, he could also just say, oh, "Well, Malachi went twentieth, and I think that's a better comparison to his game." But um, I do think if he's getting maybe a late first round grade and no guarantee, and he could fall to the second round, if he comes back, he can be a top ten pick in the draft in twenty twenty four. So that's where I think it could be like, okay, let me let me do a little bit of betting on myself here and just play another year at Ohio State, and then there's more guaranteed money down the road. It's because it's not about that first contract it's about the second one what position can you put yourself in to get the most you can get the second contract and that's kind of um where the draft comes in the guarantee money is great obviously because it makes you it puts you in that position but it just depends on like i said if he gets that first round guarantee there's no there's no nil money that could like i said 20 for malachi going 20th he got 14 million so six million guaranteed that's no NIL yeah. deal is gonna touch that um and then there's another question that we got was you can probably hit on this a little more because I've actually never been uh, to the shot. But someone said, what would it take for OSU to play in a renovated slash original St. John's Arena versus the shot? I've never been to either. So I, I know it's bad. Uh, but um, Short term, as in like I would say if you're taking it as 
early in the Holtman regime, they played at St. John's for one game a year. Um, and it was a really, really cool event where they do a non-conference game over at St. John Arena. Everybody loved it. St. John Arena is much more of a big field house, like OG throwback kind of basketball feel. I think them playing eight, like one game per season at St. John's moving forward is still very possible. Um, and it's not too terribly hard to orchestrate and make happen. So I would keep an eye out for that maybe in the fall of if they do that again at St. John. But to make it like full time, it would be, need to be like a natural disaster where like a, a tornado or something hits the shot and knocks it down. Um, they, the building's only like 25 years old. They have every year been doing renovations. They just built brand new uh, basketball offices for the men's and women's program and uh, the hockey team. So not just like renovating their current offices, like additions to the building. So they're still building on to the shot. They just redid the whole interior on the concourse with your, um, with like the eating areas and the concessions. Like they are continuously doing improvements to the shot, both for the fan experience and for the teams that use the facility. So there is a 0% chance that they would ever stop playing basketball there other than the building, like getting knocked down in a earthquake natural disaster kind of thing but it's a shitty basketball venue i think it's a nice building overall um like it's i think it's a very nice quality building but as far as basketball goes um especially now that i've seen assembly hall uh bad real bad that's that's what i mean i mean you you talk about ohio state and it's like and i it's not an excuse or anything but when you talk about i think they've played in three of the better arenas out there this year with Cameron Indoor, um, then Champagne and, and Assembly Hall. And you can just – the difference is very, very obvious when they're playing those games of the home court advantage, what it means to be playing there. You could feel it even at home at Assembly Hall. You can feel it at Cameron Indoor. Like it, it's a suffocating experience for the away team. It's it's tough. You don't want to let the – any big play gets the fans involved and it's hard. Like they're going to go to Mackey Arena, which is the same thing. And then you watch a game with the shot, and it's like you don't even—I can't even see the fans. Like it's—it doesn't even look remotely intimidating. Um, you know, and it's I, a disservice. It's, it's a disservice to everybody involved that it's that big. Because if you look at the best Big Ten venues around the conference, they're suffocating. Um, most of them, Assembly Hall holds like seventeen thousand, and they pack that shit in. But that's because basketball in Indiana is yeah, God. But Indiana. like, if you look yeah. at. If you look at Chrysler, where they'll play on Sunday, I think it holds like 12,500. If you look over it, I don't know what the capacity is of the State Farm Center in Illinois, but I can't assume that it holds any more than like maybe 14,000. Listen, the shot holds 19,000 people. And for a lot of the Big Ten games, Ohio State does put in eleven to 12,000 people, which if you had a more reasonably sized arena, you would have a tight, packed-in crowd that would be a much better uh, environment and like I'm um, basically what I'm saying is the amount of tickets that Ohio State sells for a lot of their Big Ten games would come close to selling out a lot of the Big Ten arenas. So it's not like 100%. fans. It's not like fans are like I don't like the shot, so I'm not going. A reasonable amount of fans come to these games, but if you take what would sell out Chrysler Arena and plop it into the shot, you still have seven thousand extra empty seats. Yeah, well, <laughs> and that's what it comes down to. Of like, because there's a lot of people that when you talk about that, they go, "Oh, if they were better, it'd be more people." It's not the amount of people that's the problem. It's how many no, seats there are. You're not going to fill out 19. They could be the number one team in the country. They're not going to fill out 20,000 seats. Come on, man. Like, that's it, why it's, it's so because impressive. 
the couple times they have sold it out, you know, yeah. they sold it out against Iowa a few years ago. It m- might have been the Justin Arns game, honestly. It might have been the Justin Arns oh, game. Yeah, they sold out the shot. Yeah. But like the few times they have I've been sold saying out, Justin Arns is a needle mover, but you know, people is many people are saying it. Um <laughs> like it's impressive when they do sell that arena out because that means they sold over they basically sold nineteen thousand tickets to a basketball game, which is insane for Ohio State. So mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's unfortunate, and it does a disservice, I think, to the team, and to the program, and to the fans, everybody that depends on a really good basketball environment and the shot. It's just, it's just, it's too big. And like you said, it's not that fans, you know, oh, they suck, so people don't come out for their game against. When's their next weekend afternoon game? Because that's like really the barometer. Um, their next that, weekend that would be Michigan game. State. That'd be Michigan right. State next week. Michigan State. So that's CBS, I mean that's that's called. a good barometer. A CBS Michigan State. That's they'll, it. Right they'll there. put. They'll sell somewhere between probably fourteen and sixteen thousand tickets for that game, which would sell out almost every single Big Ten arena. Um, but if they put fourteen thousand, they'll still have five thousand, you know, five thousand seats open, which is twenty five percent of the arena. Yeah. So uh, tough scenes at the shot, but it looks like it's not going to get any better anytime soon. So that was from Will Grabovec. Appreciate the question, Landon Peel. Also, I think it's Peel. My bad if it's not. Also asked us. What's the worst we can do in order to still make the tournament? So I've kind of been vocal that I think, all right, you're 11 and 10. That's 21 games. You're 3 and 7 in Big Ten. That's 10. You have 10 Big Ten games left. If you can get to 18 and 13, right, seven finish the thing out 7 and 3, and then I say split a game in the Big Ten tournament, I actually think even if you lose your first game, 18 to 14 probably still gets you in because that puts you at, uh, if you finish 7 and 3, you're 10 and 10 in the conference. You're 500. In conference, even I would say to answer this specific question, the worst you can do, I'd say, is finish six and four. That puts you at nine eleven in conference, um, and that puts you at seventeen and fourteen overall. I still think that probably gets you into the play in, just because if you look at the Big Ten, whether they deserve it or not, I'm not arguing for or against the Big Ten when it comes to March. That's on you know to use their own. The Big Ten hasn't really done anything to earn any benefit of the doubt, but. Whether you like it or not, or whether you think it's fair or not, the Big Ten is one of the conferences that does get the benefit of the doubt in March when it comes to seeding. If you're 9-11 or 10-10 in that conference, again, fair or not, you will get the benefit of the doubt over some of the mid-majors, over you know another conference that just isn't as good. So I think to answer that specific question, the worst they can do, I would say is finish 6-4. and four. I say if you finish 6-4, and four, that puts you in the tournament, probably in the play-in. I think if you get seven to three and then you split one in the tournament, you can go one on one in the Big Ten tournament. I think that would probably get you in without maybe touching the play-in, maybe just a normal ten seed or eleven seed. But um, yeah, I, I would say worst they could do is six and four and finish. That would finish them seventeen and fourteen. Uh, yeah, I think without knowing context of who else is on the bubble, how how the other Big Ten teams do, obviously a. You know, it depends also who you beat. In those yeah, like if they go around and beat beat Purdue at Purdue, now you're giving yourself some leverage. You know, so yeah, I would say what I said I'm this past weekend. What I said this past weekend was, uh, if you go six and four down the final ten games, I think they're in the tournament, and I would consider playing in Dayton as the first four. Just like that's also just in the tournament. Um, I think if you go six and four, yeah, that's making the tournament you, to me. Yes. I think if you go six and four on the stretch, which puts you at nine and eleven overall in the Big Ten. And then if you win a game in the Big Ten tournament, um, I think that they are 
you'll still be a little nervous on Selection Sunday, but I think if they end the season 9-11 and 11 in Big Ten play, win one game in the Big Ten tournament, I think they're in the tournament. I think if you go 7-3 and three down the stretch, you end 10-10 and 10 in the Big Ten, you could lose your first game in the Big Ten tournament, and I think you are still in. So that is what we've been yeah. talking about the last couple of weeks, that it's, it is hard to see them going 6-4 and four because of how poorly they've played, but at the same time, 6-4 and four on a piece of paper is not insane. I mean, that's just barely going over 500. So you've got some home seven games at home. Seven games at home. Yeah. I think if you go six and four, that puts you overall at 17 and 14, which is pretty ugly. But you go six and four to end season 17 and 14, and you win your first game in the Big Ten tournament, I think that's your ticket. You're good to go. So I think that they are still very much can still grab that. Um, and then, like we just said, who you beat matters too. If they go six and four and one of those wins is on the road at Purdue, well, then you might not need to beat a team in the Big Ten tournament. You could end up in the tournament as an at-large 17 and 14, which would look really ugly. But if you beat Purdue, uh, that'll stick. That'll stick to your resume like glue. That'll stand out. So depends who they beat, but I would, I would say six and four is what you should circle as, you know, this gives us a chance to get in. Yeah, and, and the in the the barometer or point of reference is there because 2018, 2019, they finished uh, the regular season eighteen and fourteen, and finished eight and twelve in the Big Ten. They finished eighth in the Big Ten that year. The Big Ten wasn't much better that year than it is this year. They finished with four ranked teams, uh, but Wisconsin was was a uh, twenty three and eleven, and they were ranked. Purdue was twenty four and t- or twenty two and ten. They were ranked. So there were. I mean, the Big Ten, Michigan State was the best team in the conference. They won the conference, but. The Big Ten wasn't great that year. And then Ohio State got in as 11 seed, and they went around – they fucked around and beat Iowa State. So a really good Iowa State team. So anything's possible once you get in the tournament. But I would agree. I'd say if they finish 6-4, and four, that would mean they need to win a game in the tournament. If they finish 7-3, I think they'd get in even if they lose their first game But in the tournament. But um, just depends. So that's uh, – and then I also have a question just that we can touch on real quick um, mm-hmm. kind of for you. There's been a lot of talk about transfers, transfers in, transfers out, impact, non-impact. Do you think any of the transfers that have left Ohio State that are currently on other teams would be impactful on this current team right now over transfers they have on the team? I say no. I don't think anybody think, else is playing that I well. Think, but I think the one I think the one that comes to mind is Jaden Ledee, who plays for San Diego State. I think that Jaden Ledee could be a very useful piece on this team. Um he did transfer, I think, three years ago, though. So some folks may yeah. not even remember Jaden Ledee. He had to stop in between Ohio State and San Diego State. He was at TCU. So. Correct. I think that Jaden Ledee would be a really a very helpful piece on this year's team as a guy that maybe can give you. I think when he played Ohio State with San Diego State at Maui, I think he was averaging 10 points per game. I don't think he's averaging 10 points per game anymore, but he is a guy that in a spot start could give you, you know, he's 10 average- and 6. He's averaging seven and five. It's not bad. There you go. That's the guy that can give you 15 to 20 minutes off the bench uh, to give you a change of pace next to Zed Key. I think Jaden Ledee is a piece that uh, could help. But again, when he's a freshman, and I think his thing was like – He was rough. He, his he was homesick, was. I think, was was what he said. He, he was He's from Texas. He ended up transferring to TCU. He's, he wanted to be closer to home. Um, and also, it, it's – it's hard to argue nowadays with a freshman that's like, I averaged 1.5 points per game and you want me to stick it out. So like that, you see that happen sometimes. I think Jaden Ledee would be a helpful piece. I think a lot of the more recent transfers would not be 
Would, no, would not, I've seen a lot of Meechie Johnson stuff. Uh, Meechie Johnson, you kind of hit the nail on the head. Meechie Johnson, yes, he's at, he's averaging 11 points per game. You know, he's the second best player on South Carolina's team. South Carolina is also a bad team. And Meechie Johnson starts, and he's able to kind of really be incredibly aggressive on that team and just put up shots and really work through everything that he wouldn't be able to do at Ohio State. Uh, he's shooting 34% from the field, 30% from three. And his turn, his assist turnover ratio is uh, he's averaging about three point three assists to about two point eight turnovers a game. So he he is his efficiency is 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 low at South Carolina, but because South Carolina is not that good, uh, he's able to kind of just work through that. Where at Ohio State, if he was shooting thirty four percent from the field, he'd pretty much have the same role he had last year, which was he'd play about There's fifteen a, minutes a game, maybe, maybe. There is not a single player on Ohio State's roster that is shooting thirty four percent this year. There is not a player on Ohio State's roster that's shooting 34%. And there are, let me count how many guys are shooting higher than 30% from three like he's doing. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There are eight guys, oh, say seven if you don't count Bone Hardman, that are shooting better than what Michi Johnson is from three. Um, the other stat that's fun about Michi, not to be, I don't want to roast Michi, but I'm more roasting that comment. Uh, 11.7 shot attempts per game to get 11.9 points per game. Yeah. Uh, he is the same Michi. He's yeah. the same Michi he has always been. He is like setting off, he, it's like setting off a firework in a Tupperware and then just letting the lid off. Um, <laughs> like he is just, I, he was so much fun. But like once Michi had his, made his decision about what he was doing, it did not matter what was going on around him. He was doing what he had made up his mind already. Uh, He's just, he's not an efficient, he's not an efficient scorer. He wasn't last year. He's not this year. Yeah. And I think also when you look at a guy like Roddy Gale, um, like there's nothing really Michi would provide that Roddy Gale is not giving you. Roddy Gale is just playing less and he's a much better defender. So um, I think Roddy Gale's ceiling is a lot higher. And I don't know that those two could really, I, I don't, I don't know that I think Roddy Gale would just be starting to take Michi's minutes at this point. I'm also, I'm, I'm a little curious the one thing I don't understand, and I think we get a little bit of heat because, you know, we don't criticize people enough. So I'll criticize here. Um, I don't understand why Tanner Holden is part of the cuts to the ro- to the rotation. I, yeah, I don't And Adam Jardy touched on it, and he made a good point of, like, we're not in practice, which could be a big thing. But, man. We, asked. we have asked. Uh, we, we've asked directly. Well, I mean, I personally have not asked because I haven't needed to because other people have asked multiple times. Like, the question is, is asked – to Chris Holtman, not like it's 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 point blank. It's why is Tanner Holden not playing? Is he hurt? Is he in trouble? And his answer is always just, you know, hey, at this time of year, we you know we try to shorten the rotations a little bit, and uh, you know he's that that's just kind of what's happening. But that's not the question that's being asked. The question is, okay, we understand that. Why? What is he not doing? Yeah, because because he, he's be being he's efficient on offense. He's been good on defense. Seems like he's providing a little bit of leadership as an older guy. And the issue I'm having with it is he's going to be on this team next year. Barring it as a transfer again. Yes, I think he – I think that if this keeps up, I don't think he'll be on the team next year. Well, I even th- – so we'll just – so for my point, I'm assuming he comes back to the team. Okay. There is definitely a chance he transfers out. But for my point, I'll assume or he just, comes back. Yeah, or just he's pro. He's – yeah, I don't know about that one. But um, I guess for, I guess overseas. Play, yeah, yeah, overseas. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. I don't know exactly how old he is. He's probably 21, but um, I don't think he's pushing like old, old. 
The, but the problem I have with he, if he does, let's just assume he's playing at Ohio State next year, he's going to be a 25 to 30 minute starter. Like he's going to be one of your guys. So at this point, when you're in, when you're shrinking the rotation, you're shrinking down a guy that I think is going to really play impactful minutes for you next year. It's kind of my issue. I have, I don't, you know, I get shrinking the rotation. The problem with me right now is I don't think they've found a good one. So outside of maybe the starting lineup, which the starting lineup by all metrics is playing fantastic, which is kind of weird, but like all the metrics say like, Ohio State is like the ninth best starting lineup in the country right now. I don't understand the metrics. I never will. So I'm not going to get into that, but it is saying that the, the starting lineup is fine. I, but it's when you have a lot of guys that are struggling, right? Zed Key is hurt. That's clear. Justice Suing is struggling. Bruce Thornton is as good as he is. He's struggling a little bit as a freshman. You know, it's, I don't think you can really shrink the rotation yet because I don't think you found the best possible option. And I do think Tanner Holden, I mean, he, the last time he played, he played 16 minutes against Iowa and they won, you know, and then since then he's played six minutes against Illinois and six against Indiana. And he only played against Indiana because they were getting blown out. He came in the last five minutes of the game. So I just, I don't, I get what he's saying about shrinking the rotation, but I just don't think they have found the level of consistency from these guys to shrink it yet. And, um, that's where I think that, you know, now you're, you you can't play with the idea of guys transferring in your head, but it it kind of has to be there a little bit because like a, a Roddy Gale is a good example. You have to play Roddy Gale because you cannot afford him to transfer. Roddy Gale is going to be, I, I've said this multiple times, I'm comfortable saying it, I think he's going to be an all Big Ten type player. you got to keep him in Columbus. So you, yeah, even he's- if he's struggling, you got to play him because you got to tell this kid, look, you're going to – and. To Chris Holman's defense, he even touched on it this week. He said, I think he's going to take the freshman to sophomore jump. It's going to really, really shock people. And that's great, but he's got to be there for a sophomore year. So, and I don't think Roddy Gale is a good example because Roddy Gale is playing. Um, he, I think he played 16, 17 minutes against Indiana. But, you know, to Tanner Holden, I just, I don't think he's really shown anything to warrant shrinking the rotation, which is weird. Um, it has to be a practice thing, but I don't know. Yeah, so I ho- hopefully that that misnomer that nobody that's at press conferences, people that are able to get in the press conference room, they don't want to ask him why. Like, I would love that to just be crystal clear for whoever is listening to this. The question is not like – the question isn't like who is the rotation going to short? Who is that going to cut out? The question is is point blank, why is Tanner Holden not playing? And the answer is always I'm just shortening the rotations. And the follow-up is – what is Tanner Holden doing? What is he, what is unsatisfactory about what he's done that is leading it to him being the one that's shortened? And the answer yeah. is still, I'm just shortening the rotation. So I don't know why. I think that Tanner Holden's one of the only guys in that team that regardless of score is out there making plays and at least acting like he wants to be out there, whether his team's up 20 or down 20. So to I me, there's been I'm three happy. guys like that, and it's been Tanner Holden, Roddy Gale, Eugene Brown. No matter what, yeah. I've seen those dudes – Show and that's not an insult to anybody else. It's just those three guys seem like they're providing that spark that they might be missing. And, and I was thinking said, about it earlier. Those are... yeah, I was thinking ahead. about it earlier too because I was thinking um, how many scholarships they're going to have available next year that we didn't realize were going to be available. I think Tanner Holden's a senior. I think he's he's probably twenty two by now. It's his fourth year in college. It might be a tough sell to Tanner Holden in April 
when he could just go pro and play over in Europe somewhere and make money and start his professional career, it might be a tough sell to tell Tanner Holden, Tanner, you got to come back. You're going to be one of our starters. You're going to be one of our guys. And he, he could look back at Holtman and say, coach, I was a DNP coach's decision for seven of our last eight games. And now you're telling me I should come back because I'm the guy. I'm going to go over to Europe and I'm going to make, I'm going to make, you know, $300,000 a year. I'm going to start my basketball career. I'm not going to, I'm not fucking around with this anymore, man. So like, I think it would be a tough sell because he can't transfer again. He uses one-time transfer. So he can't just like transfer a different team. He could just say, I'm going could, I guess he could transfer and sit out a year and then play. But then again, like you said, you're like 24 at that point. Yeah. That's just so a I lot. Because I was thinking in my mind, I was like, man, they, they might end up having a few extra scholarships open now with Seth Towns. His scholarship went to Owen Spencer. Would Owen Spencer be scholarship again next year? I don't know. Does Tanner Holden come back? I don't, I don't know how back? that works. Would, Bryce would, is probably gone. That's a scholarship right. you thought you were going to have that you don't. Sean's gone. You, Justice is gone. Likely is gone. Gene Brown Eugene is a guy Brown that is I think Gene gone. Brown is is somebody that brings a lot of juice, and I would like to see him stay with the program. But that's a guy that going into his fourth year, if he's still not playing a ton, could say, you know, I could play somewhere else. I mean, Gene um, Brown legitimately is he's talented enough to where he can go to like a a max Georgia. school or something, play thirty five minutes a game, average fifteen and seven, and maybe cut out an overseas career kind of deal. Um, so we'll see. I don't know. We'll see. It's just going to yeah, be. It's funny. It's funny you asked about that, just because like I was literally thinking about that earlier. I was like, man, like it's going to be a tough sell to keep Tanner Holden with this program for another year if he continues to play four minutes a game. Which sucks because I think this year was always going to be kind of a learning year for him to get ready for next year because he's kind of stepping into the justice suing role. But again, like you said, if he's not here to do that, then um, you're in kind of a tricky spot. And I do think, like I said, I just don't think anybody else has been, it'd be one thing if you have six, seven guys that have been really good, really consistent. Okay. Let's run with these guys. You know, we're 18 to four. Why not? But everybody's been so inconsistent. Even again, as, as amazing as Bryce Sensible has been, the defense has been a little shaky sometimes. And he went through that like three game kind of inefficient scoring spell. So Bryce has been incredible, but for them, but nobody's been like, the consistent rock. And I think that's where it's like, okay, so when do you, how do you make that decision of shrinking the lineup? When again, when he's on the floor, Tanner Holden has seemingly been one of the more efficient guys. And that's where I think you get into kind of a a tough spot. Um, Caitlin is probably also gone. So that's another scholarship. (laughs) Right. You've got guys that are early in their careers that could transfer because they're not playing. And there's, that's the thing is there's more young guys coming in that are good. So then if, if people were frustrated this year by the, you know, we're a young team, we're figuring stuff out, you know, we're, we're going to get there, but we're a young team. Wait until next year. If these hypotheticals right. that we're talking about that may or may not come true, let's say all these boxes are checked hypothetically, or even if Tanner Holden stays, you could be looking at a lineup of Bruce Thornton, sophomore, Roddy Gale, sophomore. Um, then you have at forward, either Scotty Middleton or Devin Royal freshman. If Tanner Holden stays, then you have Tanner Holden, senior. But if he leaves, you would probably have the other freshman forward. So you'd have sophomore, sophomore, freshman, freshman, and then Zed Key, center. You're going to have a whole lot of, we're a young team, we're a young team. And I can promise you that a lot of frustrated fans are done with the shit of, we're a young team, we're figuring it out, because they'll be even younger next year. So that's kind of what made me think about it, because then I was like, then they might have a couple, if guys do transfer, then you maybe have a couple more available scholarships to go to the transfer portal to pursue impact players to supplement the team um, yeah you have to go i think this year especially if you if you if somehow bryce comes back um 
you know, this changes, but you have to kind of go into the season, the off season with the idea that Bryce is gone. You have to go get a truly impactful transfer, like a Ter- like a Terrence Shannon, someone is going to come in and, tr- and start and truly like impact the game because the three they brought in, I, I don't think any of them have played particularly bad. Again, Tanner Holden hasn't played that much, but he's played well. He's in Sean McNeil has been a little inconsistent, but he, you know, he shot the ball pretty well in general. And, um, and nice likely, you know, both Sean McNeil and I likely have gone through some personal things that I don't think they anticipated, which, you know, is that's tough for a college kids. So they, there's just been some kind of outlying factors there too, but you have to go get somebody. And I've seen a lot of the Nigel Pack stuff. I think they dodged a bullet with Nigel Pack personally. He's been pretty bad. It, not bad, but he's been pretty inefficient at Miami. He's only averaging like 11 a game. I don't think, you know, I guess what the, yeah. the deal I mean, was Sean to Mc, get him. Out Sean of, Mc, I mean, yeah, Sean McNeil's been just as good as Nigel Pack is this year. He's averaging a Sean little McNeil's less. At like, yeah, Sean McNeil's at like 9.5 a game. Pack's at 11, and Pack's making like a million dollars, and Sean's not. Yeah, I, I think they kind of dodged a bullet there personally, but you got to go get a Terrence Shannon Jr. You got to go get somebody that's going to, and there's going to be these guys that the transfer portal is only getting more and more every year, and they're only getting more talented guys. So go get an impactful transfer. Go get a Keontae Johnson. You know, that's at Kansas State, easily the best story in college basketball. If you don't know about it, look it up. You know, stuff like that. Go get somebody that's going to truly come in and make a difference on this team because, again, I think they're just one 17-point-per-game score away next year from being a top-15 team. Again, if Bryce comes back, that's him. But, again, you know, we can only say so many times, that, man, what if Malachi Branham was on this team? Or, man, last year, what if Dwayne Washington was on this team? At some point, you just have to accept they're not. <laughs> you have to go get other guys. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking about that earlier because I was just, you know, I was just thinking about all the guys, the turnover, and then who's coming in. And I mean, I like fun basketball, so the the thought of having Bruce Thornton, Roddy Gale, Devin Royal, and Scotty Milton on the floor at the same time to me that sounds really fun. I also know that if you roll those four guys out with Zed Key, you're probably going like eight and twelve in the Big Ten at most. I would enjoy watching them together, but that's not how you're going to win the Big Ten. Um, there's just they're going to depend on team. what kind of sophomore jump uh, the 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 two guards would take there. But yeah, I mean it's it, that'd be a young team. And I, at this point, you know, fans are like you said, fans are sick of hearing that young team stuff. Even if it's true, you know, I think fans have a uh, a higher expectation. So and again, this year has been by all accounts and under nobody would argue that like I, I there were fans that got way too high on this team in non conference, but this was never. We, we were never looking at three and seven in conference. You know, I didn't think they were going to win the Big Ten. I didn't think they were going to be top four, but I thought five or six in the Big Ten made sense, uh, not 12. Over, so. over the summer, we definitely were sitting here saying this team might suck, but they're going to be fun. And it turns yeah, out we were they, we they were on this train early. People always call us too optimistic. Out, we knew this was coming. Out, this yeah. We were like, yeah, it turns out they suck and they're not fun. But hey, what are you going to do? Um, <laughs> that's all I got. Do you have anything else? Uh, nope, we answered the questions. So thank you for submitting those. Uh, I also answered one of myself. And uh, I, th- I do think that um, we're heading into a defining period for Ohio State because I think they can truly win the next five games. And I know that's going to sound ridiculous to a lot of people, but uh, I, d- I, d- I still personally think this team does make the tournament if I had to make a prediction right now, but uh, we'll see. Yeah, I have not wavered from that. I still think they're a tournament team. But next time we, next time this comes out, we'll have uh, two more games, two more games that are done. So if they win both games before we come back, um, we'll be singing a different tune in a week. If they lose both games, we will be very much talking about off season. 
anyway. it is fu- it is funny too, just real quick, because like for all the gripes that you can have about Chris Holman, and yes, I agree, they probably should have been to Sweet 16 by now. He wins the first game. In his career, he's seven to one, and the one loss was the fluke to Oral Roberts. So if they do make it in the tournament, I like the chances in the first game. Second one, not so much. If you found us on the website, make sure to also subscribe on Spotify, Apple Music, uh, whatever you use to do music and podcasts. That way you'll be uh, you will be notified whenever we put out new episodes, and you can find us under the Land Grant Holy Land feed. You can find us at Bucketheads LGHL on Twitter. Um, follow us, you know, retweet us, ask us questions, yell at us, whatever I'll be the case may be. Ground. I'll be boots on the ground this weekend in Ann Arbor. Right, yeah, you'll be we'll at Michigan, five. so that'll be cool. We'll have uh, photos and quotes and all that good stuff. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it is at Lamons underscore Connor, L-E-M-O-N-S underscore Connor. Thanks for listening. If you made it this far, appreciate you. Have a good weekend and go Bucks.